Good afternoon and welcome to Midday Magazine for Monday, October 24th. I'm Julie Hersey. Petersburg's search and rescue team located a missing hiker over the weekend. The man was in good health but was lost for over 20 hours. Rachel Cassandra has the story. The search and rescue team found the lost man Sunday night. They aren't releasing his name. Bjorn Stolpe is the lieutenant of the Petersburg Fire Department. We could definitely hear that it was somebody, you know, yelling out to us. And so we just closed the gap pretty quick. And and he was just hanging out in a little open section uh, of the woods. Patrick Fowler learned of the missing person Saturday around 5.30 p.m. He's the captain of the search and rescue team. He told me the man was hiking off trail. Uh, they weren't very familiar with the area, but they had been instructed by their, their family member to uh, go up into the muskeg and kind of make a loop and come back to the road where they'd pick him up. The hiker was six hours overdue when search and rescue showed up. Fowler said they continuously made sounds to try to get the hiker's attention, which is a typical approach. One of our best tools is using sound attraction where we're uh, either yelling or blowing whistles or even last night um, firing a, a couple of gunshots um, using uh, horns and sirens on the roadways, things like that's going to attract attention um, and get that person to respond back to us. The search was led by Fowler and the fire department. The Petersburg Police Department and the U.S. Forest Service also helped. There were 16 people working Saturday evening, including a few civilian volunteers. The Coast Guard launched a search helicopter from Sitka. The Petersburg Police Department also launched a drone, but the weather interfered with the drone's work. Ultimately, the search team worked almost six hours without finding anything. They stopped their search around 1.30 in the morning. Staying up all night is really just not an effective use of our resources. We're better off to take a break and be fully staffed at first light. The team met at 6.30 Sunday morning to talk strategy. They received a weather forecast from NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. Uh, so we had a, a pretty detailed forecast, which, which basically said, yeah, it's going to be, be real bad. <laughs> um, we're looking to sustain 30-knot winds, gust of 50, um, you know, rain. They prepared the team, starting with good rain gear. And they knew they'd need their trailer available for respite. So that, that's where we moved uh, the, the trailer down there to you know, facilitate a hot lunch and have at least a, a small pocket of space that folks get out of the weather. On Sunday, the team looked for about three hours before they found the hiker. Stolpe and Sam Collum first found him. Here's Stolpe. He was uh, he was alert, responsive, and uh, mobile, which is you know kind of the three big things that we're checking for when we uh, when we find somebody. You know, we want to make sure that they don't have any uh, substantial injuries. So uh, he was he was standing up and he was communicating with us. Uh, pretty pretty decent you know he was definitely you know very cold and his uh you know his nerves were pretty shot he was pretty pretty shaky but uh, he was definitely very very excited to see us <laughs> Fowler described the location of the man he was found kind of basically at the edge of a that clear cut that is off of Forest Service Road 6222 the man's health seemed okay he was able to walk out of the woods with help when he got to the trailer, he drank, ate, and warmed up. Then the team brought him back to his family. Additional reinforcements from Juno Mountain Rescue showed up just as the man was found. Juno Sea Dogs was also planning to send dogs. Reporting in Petersburg, I'm Rachel Cassandra.
The location of the rescue will be posted along with this story on kfsk.org. Ketchikan's borough took an early step towards addressing the increasing number of short-term rental properties as the community faces an ongoing housing shortage. On Monday, the Ketchikan Gateway Borough Assembly took the first of two votes on a measure to require owners of vacation rental properties to register for a free permit. As Eric Stone reports, it's a step aimed at figuring out just how many properties are listed on services like Airbnb and VRBO. Ketchikan Planning Director Richard Harney says vacation rentals have upsides and downsides. Vacation rentals appear to have a negative impact on the affordability of homes and tourism destinations. This has been seen across the nation and talked about and and reported on multiple times. That being said, vacation rentals do serve a very, very important uh, piece of a tourism destination's economy and should not be just excluded. So before the borough considers any potential limits on short-term rentals, Harney said it's a good idea to figure out just how many are out there. We have different reports that have been run, and they show different numbers, ranging from less than 100 to over 300. This code amendment will allow us to identify how many there are. Harney said the permit won't require a fee or have any other special requirements. Pretty simple. Name, address, property location, signature. It'll just be a paperwork, um, so that way we can make sure that they get their uh, zoning permits, and then also so we can get it over to finance so that way they can be registered for for sales tax and the transient occupancy tax. Assemblymember Jamie Palmer said keeping track of the number of available Airbnbs could also make Ketchikan a more attractive destination for business conventions. I was just at the Alaska Travel Industry Association conference, and one of the reasons why they haven't been here in a long time is because they say we don't have enough beds. But I would challenge that, and I hope that um, this ordinance moving forward would allow us to bring larger-scale conferences like that down here. But Assemblymember Glenn Thompson took issue with a provision that would have required owners to re-register their properties each year. It's going to tell the people, A, we don't trust you, and B, you need to come and kiss the ring every year. And I don't think that sends the right message to our business community, especially when we're trying to um, increase the amount of independent travelers. Arnie said requiring annual registration would help officials keep track of how the vacation rental market changes over time. Assemblymember Jeremy Bynum, who's also running for the House District 1 seat in the November election, said the borough could keep track of filings on quarterly sales tax reports instead. The Assembly tied on a vote to remove the requirement for an annual renewal, with Thompson, Bynum, and Jamie Palmer voting in favor. Mayor Rodney Dial voted to nix the requirement, breaking the tie. The Assembly voted down another amendment from Thompson that would have allowed vacation rentals in industrial zones. Arnie said that would allow residents to bypass a prohibition on housing in industrial zones. This would definitely open up a loophole. The final vote on the measure to require property owners to register short-term rental properties with the borough was 5-1 to one with Bynum opposed. He said he was concerned the system wouldn't allow homeowners to live in properties designated as vacation rentals. Others suggested the issue could be fixed when the measure comes back for a final vote on November 7th. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Eric Stone. A half-century-old plan to connect Metlaketla and Ketchikan's power grids took a big step forward last Thursday. Ketchikan City Council voted unanimously to allow Metlaketla Power and Light to purchase power from the city-run utility and vice versa. But, as Eric Stone reports, it's another kind of connection that has the head of Metlaketla's utility especially excited. For Metlaketla, today is a big day. 
Bentley Catlin Mayor Albert Smith addressed Ketchikan's City Council, underscoring the historic significance of the agreement to connect the two communities' power grids. We've been working on this project for decades, and on our side, the land-based electric lines are in place. But the most important thing, the foundation of making it all work, is our purchase agreement in front of you. The agreement is just a few pieces of paper. There's still the multi-million dollar, two-mile-long undersea cable to fund, build, and bring online. But officials on both sides of Nichols Passage see it as a big step towards making the electrical intertie a reality. Smith told the council that connecting the grids would benefit both communities. Through this agreement, both of our communities have access to backup power when needed. We both can reduce our reliance on diesel use, and we both have opportunities to sell excess power when available. It's truly a win-win for, for both of us, and it makes our region stronger and more resilient. The council unanimously praised the project. Councilmember Abby Bradbury thanked senior city officials for getting the agreement over the finish line after 57 years of discussions and false starts. This has been talked about uh, for a while. I knew about it before I sat here. I'm exciting. It's exciting to see that it's actually being executed. It's not clear when the grids will actually be connected. Acting Ketchikan Public Utilities Electric Division Manager Jeremy Bynum estimates it'll be at least a couple of years. In an interview, Metlakantla Power and Light Board Chair Kailani Booth applauded the council's decision. Booth says it's not just a step towards improving Metlakantla's electrical grid. He says it would also vastly improve internet service in the Inet Islands Reserve. They're both one cable, uh, the broadband and the, and the electricity. Booth says Metlakantla is awaiting a decision on its application for roughly $11 million in federal grants to partially fund the cable. It's part of a program funded by last year's bipartisan infrastructure law that funds telecommunications infrastructure for tribal communities. We're hoping to hear any day now. Um, checking my phone every day. Once the internet connection is up and running, Booth says that'll make a big difference for Metlakantla residents, students, and business owners. He says it'll drive down rates and bring Metlakatla's internet connections up to today's standards. And he says faster internet could have a wide variety of benefits. For one, it could help cut down on costly medical travel. The biggest portion of people that we have on our island are elderly. And, you know, you've got people that have diabetes, you know, and, and cancer patients and stuff like that. So uh, it makes it really important for the telehealth to work well. And if, uh, if we had good internet and someone could take vitals and do all those things in real time, you know, then people aren't having to go to Anchorage possibly. He says improving infrastructure in Metlakatla could also help stem the flow of people out of the region. And we've got to make it a priority to try to keep people here in Ketchikan and Metlakatla and Prince of Wales. And, and if we've all got to tackle, um, you know, our bills and, and work together to make sure everybody can afford life here, uh, because we do believe, I believe, this is this is our piece of paradise, and um, and we need to try to hold on to it. Ketchikan City Council is scheduled to take a final vote on the power sales agreement next month. Reporting in Ketchikan, I'm Eric Stone. That wraps up Midday Magazine for this Monday, the 24th day of October. And coming up next, we have a look at local and marine weather forecasts. Support is brought to you by Petersburg Properties. 
Sarah Holmgren, George Doyle, and Jalen Birchall, helping to buy, sell, or rent your real estate. Petersburg Properties, with an office downtown, by phone at 772-6000, on Facebook, online at www.petersburgproperties.com, and on popular national real estate search sites. Beautiful day out there. It had a promising start, and it has unfolded now. 44 degrees, and the forecast did say it would get up into the middle 40s. And the clouds did decrease as well. They're still talking about maybe the chance of some scattered isolated showers this afternoon. But otherwise, uh, northeast winds around 10 miles per hour. Tonight, it looks like scattered rain showers becoming widespread late and lows in the upper 30s. And east winds 10 miles per hour. Tomorrow, more widespread rain showers in the morning, mostly cloudy, with some scattered rain showers in the afternoon, highs in the middle 40s. And for tomorrow night, mostly cloudy as well with a chance of rain and lows in the middle 30s. The rain begins in earnest on Wednesday, becoming heavy at times in the afternoon. And then rain follows us right through the end of the week. And temperatures stay in that same range, the upper 30s at night and the lower 40s during the day. So chillier than last week for sure. We have a high tide coming up at 8 minutes past 1 at 17.6 feet. That's pretty high. And then it will run out to minus nine-tenths of a foot at 7.34 tonight. Sunrise was at 7.43 this morning. Sunset will be at 5.29. In the marine forecast, a weak area of low pressure will track southeast through the eastern gulf this evening into tonight. For Stevens Passage, northwest 20 today, becoming southeast 10 this afternoon, sees four feet subsiding to two feet or less. Tonight, easterly 10, becoming northerly 15 knots late, seas building to three feet. Then for tomorrow, northerly 15, dropping to northerly 10 tomorrow night, with seas between two and three feet. For southern Chatham Strait today, northwest winds 10 knots, seas two feet or less, 12 feet near the ocean entrances. Tonight, southwest 10, becoming northerly late, seas two feet or less, nine feet near the ocean entrances. And then tomorrow, northerly 15, rising to northerly 20 tomorrow night, seas 4 feet, 8 feet near ocean entrances. Frederick Sound today, westerly 20, coming down to 10 knots in the afternoon, seas 4 feet, subsiding to 2 feet or less. Tonight, easterly 15, diminishing late, seas 3 feet, subsiding to 2 feet or less. And then for tomorrow and tomorrow night, northerly winds 15 knots and seas to 3 feet. Sumner Strait today, northwest winds 15 knots, seas 3 feet, 9 feet near the ocean entrances. Tonight, southwest winds 10 knots, becoming easterly late, seas 2 feet or less, 7 feet near ocean entrances. And then tomorrow, northerly 10, rising to 15 knots tomorrow night, with seas to 3 feet. For Clarence Strait, a small craft advisory in the morning hours, well, hopefully that's diminished by now. Northwest 25 coming down sometime this afternoon. Seas 5 feet, 11 feet near the ocean entrances. Tonight, southwest 10 becoming southeast 15 late. Seas building to 3 feet, 8 feet near the ocean entrances. Tomorrow, southeast 20 becoming northwesterly in the afternoon. Seas 4 feet and the outlook. North 15 seas 3 feet, 6 feet near the ocean entrances. And coming up after this message, we have a look at the community calendar. Support comes from Coastal Cold Storage, now open seven days a week for all your seafood processing needs. And introducing the Coastal Cold Storage Locals Club, 
with lots of perks. Registration available at the restaurant. Coastal Cold Storage at 907-772-4177. No muskeg messages at the moment. That's messages for people out of reach of a phone. And in the birthday book for today, October 24th, happy birthday to Beth Lore, Richard Sprague, Kevin Gramberg, and Liz Sessler. Also, happy anniversary to Bob and Linnea Zimke. Hope you all have a good time celebrating today. Early in-person voting for the general election started today, and it will be available in the Parks and Rec Community Center five days a week, Monday through Friday, 11 in the morning till 3 in the afternoon, and that will continue until November 7th. And then the election itself is on November 8th. Please bring a piece of identification with you when you go up to vote early. And starting today, KFSK is going to air Bird Note at 12.30 and Stardate at 5.48. Burger Night at the Moose Lodge is Monday night, 5.30 to 7.30, and this is open to members and guests. Mickoff Island Alcoholics Anonymous Women's Meeting every Monday night, 7 o'clock at the Presbyterian Church. For more information, call 907-518-0061. Talk of Alaska is a statewide call-in program. It airs every Tuesday morning at 10. And this week, the program features legal experts on Alaska's Constitution. You can call in with your questions. The toll-free number, 800-478-TALK. Or you can send an email to talk at alaskapublic.org. The Federal Subsistence Regional Advisory Councils will be holding public meetings to develop recommendations on fishery closure reviews and proposals to change fish and shellfish regulations. The Southeast Advisory Council meeting will be held in Ketchikan starting tomorrow through the 27th. And for more information, you can contact Deanna Perry at 907-586-7918 or by email deanna.perry at usda.gov. Passport services will resume at the library tomorrow. And the Public Library Board holds its regular meeting Wednesday at noon. And that will be a hybrid in-person Zoom meeting. And for the Zoom link, you can go online to psglib.org slash events or to KFSK's community calendar, kfsk.org. There will be a fundraiser dinner for the high school basketball teams, and that's Wednesday night, 5.30 to 7.30 at the Elks Lodge. The menu includes cashew chicken, rice, and vegetables. You can dine in or pick up orders to go. And for tickets, you can contact any basketball player or stop by the high school office between 8 in the morning and 3 in the afternoon. Pioneers of Alaska potluck dinner on Wednesday night as well. That's at 6 o'clock. Halibut beer bits will be served with potluck items, and there will be a meeting and auction as well, and that's downstairs in the Moose Lodge. Housing Task Force meets Wednesday at 6 in the evening in the Assembly Chambers. And the debate for the state is a series of candidate debates broadcast live on KFSK Community Radio and Public Television. The U.S. House debate is Wednesday night, at 7, and the U.S. Senate debate Thursday night at 7. Petersburg Medical Center Board of Directors meets Thursday at 5 in the evening in the Dorothy Engel Conference Room at Petersburg Medical Center, and the agenda is available on the KFSK online community calendar. Rainforest Festival and Partners in Education present the Alaska Raptor Center visit to Petersburg. That is this Thursday through Saturday. 
And there's going to be a presentation in the public library. That's Thursday night at 6 with birds. And there'll be a presentation at Anchor Properties on Friday at 7. Not so sure if the birds will make both visits. The visit is made possible by a grant from Petersburg Community Foundation. And you can find out more by calling 907-772-3381. Petersburg's high school annual seaweed bag collection will be raising funds for travel expenses for school district music students. And the delivery will be on Friday, $12 per bag. And you can place an order by calling the high school at 877-526-7656. Viking Swim Club auction and dinner takes place on Saturday night, October 29th at the Elks Ballroom. The doors open at 6. There's a Halloween theme. Costumes are encouraged. The dinner is going to be catered by Alyssa Eggers, and it starts at 7 o'clock, and the live auction starts after dinner. You can get tickets at Lee's Clothing for $35 each, and donations for the auction are still being accepted. For more information, call Valerie Nilsson at 907-518-9055 or Heidi Cabral at 907-738-2430. And I believe some of the donated items might be in the window at Rexall downtown. Moose hunters must submit a hunting report to Fishing Game by Sunday, October 30th, even if you did not actually hunt moose this season. And for more information, contact Fishing Game 907-772-3801, and you can post your hunting report online at hunt.alaska.gov. And the Rainforest Festival has issued a call for a proposal for logo design and style guide development for the year-round festival. The call for proposals closes on October 31st. It's open to Southeast Alaska artists and designers. And you can find out more online at akrainforestfest.org. And you can find out more about the general election online at elections.alaska.gov. If you're thinking about requesting an absentee by mail ballot, you need to do that by the 29th of the month, and that would be Saturday. The following vaccines are available at the Public Health Center. You can call or stop by to make an appointment. Flu, six-month and older quadrivalent, Moderna and Pfizer bivalent boosters, and the new Pfizer bivalent booster for kids age 5 to 11. To find out more, call the Health Center at 907-772-4611. It's located on the lower level of the medical center off the Fram Street parking lot. Petersburg Indian Association says they will cover up to $100 of school fees for elementary school students. This includes swimsuits, inside shoes, and a yearbook. If your child is enrolled in PIA, bring receipts to their office to be reimbursed, and they can also help you if you're not enrolled, get enrolled and reimbursed if you qualify. And if you've worked in public service federal, state, local, tribal government, or nonprofit organization, for 10 years or more, you may be eligible for student debt forgiveness. Also, for a limited time, it's easier to receive debt forgiveness or credit even if you have not yet served 10 years. The deadline is October 31st, and you can find out more online at whitehouse.gov slash public service loan forgiveness. The Fall Fisherman's Expo, providing educational workshops and training to new and experienced fishermen, will be available virtually Wednesday, November 9th. And the link to the presentations and registration is on KFSK's online community calendar, kfsk.org, 
or you can go to alphafish.org. And that wraps up Midday Magazine for today. I'm Julie Hersey, and I'll meet you back here again tomorrow morning for Morning Edition. Up next, after this message, we will have Bird Note and then Street Beat Music, hosted by Britton Erickson. Hope you get to get outside and enjoy the sunshine. KFSK is made possible in part by Sentinel Coffee, with a wide selection of organic coffee from around the world, located in Juneau, but shipping anywhere that KFSK members listen. With the option of a subscription service, that's Sentinel Coffee at sentinelcoffee.com or 907-299-7905. This is Bird Note. As a young child, Ken Kaufman ventured into his neighborhood in search of the tigers, bears, and dinosaurs he read about in nature books, but quickly found that Indiana doesn't have those. So six-year-old Ken set his sights on the next best thing. I decided I would take a day or two and figure out what these birds